Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So I've talked about this book before. Um, it's called The 100-Year Marathon, written by Michael Pillsbury. You might not recognize that name, but he has been involved in the U.S. government and dealings with China going way back to Nixon. In fact, he was uh, a big deal in terms of the, quote, opening of China. Okay, so, so he's not like a writer. He was a diplomat, a guy involved yep. in opening China. Yeah, absolutely. And so the opening of China, which is that phrase has been used my entire adult life. And the and the way the politics and the history of this has been written is the United States, under the tutelage of Richard Nixon, who was who was a very smart geopolitical strategist, but he found a way to negotiate and this and that. With Henry Kissinger's help, we found a way to figure out psychologically how we could get into China somehow and finally go over there and talk to somebody and open China. Nixon opened China, and it was good for the world. Well, what Michael Pillsbury now says, and that's what he believed was going on all these years, he has since determined that no, they uh, they opened the door and figured out a way to get us to come in and go along with their plans and build up their country, their economy, and their military so that they could overtake us. It was all a ruse. To bilk the West was, while remaining a communist totalitarian state. From the beginning, it wow. was a, from day one, the whole Nixon going to China thing wasn't an amazing political uh, ma- magic trick. By the brilliant U.S. politician. No, it was China bringing us in to take advantage of us. Wow. And this Michael Pillsbury wrote this book, The 100-Year Marathon, that since uh, the the start of the uh, communist-led country in 1949, they've had a 100-year plan to replace us as the superpower in the world. And they're screaming that direction, all with our help. I'll read uh, just one of the reviews of the book before I get into the story that I want to tell you that I think is so damned interesting. Um, and I hope you do, too. Um, Pillsbury explains how the U.S. government has helped, sometimes unwittingly, sometimes deliberately, to make the China dream come true. That is, of replacing the U.S. as the world's superpower. And he calls for the United States to implement a new, more competitive strategy. China's ambition to become the world's dominant power has been there all along, virtually burned into the country's cultural DNA. I don't, I don't think we fully understand what that means. Um, the FBI director said it very well last year, Director Ray, that it, they have a whole of society goal. Whether you're a child, whether you're a construction worker, whether you're a member of the Communist Party, the whole point of being Chinese is to become the dominant force in the world. I think if we got knocked down hard off of our pedestal, we would understand that feeling. Anyway, so I'm going to read this long story from uh, the opening of this book, The 100 Year Marathon. And um, I will be uh, doing interpretive dance uh, to interpret the story. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, it's radio, but take my word. He opens with an old Chinese saying that is, deceive the heavens to cross the ocean. That is what they have been doing for quite some time. At noon on November 30th, 2012, beneath a clear late autumn sky, Wayne Clow, the white-bearded, affable secretary of the Smithsonian Institution, appeared before a collection of cameras and microphones. 
As he spoke, a cold wind blew across the National Mall. The audience stood bundled in their overcoats as representative of Secretary of State Hillary Clinton held aloft a mysterious gold medal. So you got Hillary as Secretary of State holding up the gold medal for all to see. It's the Smithsonian's honored guest that day that was the famed Chinese artist Kai, who I don't really know, but doesn't matter, who had been feted the night before at a Tony Gala inside the gallery of the Smithsonian's National Museum of Asian Art, an event co-hosted... Um, no, 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 that, that's an aside. Some 400 guests, among them House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, um, a bunch of other uh, business types, the 74-year-old widow of the Shah of Iran, they all clinked glasses to celebrate the Chinese-American relationship and to catch a glimpse of Kai, this amazing artist who had won international acclaim for his awe-aspiring fireworks display during the opening ceremony of the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Oh, right. I think we yeah. all remember that, and it yeah. was amazing. And that was one of the first hints in retrospect that this country is for real. It's crazy what you can pull off with slave labor. And gazillions of dollars in uh, all kinds of breaks that the world gives you. Kai was known to celebrate Chinese symbols with performance art and had once used lighted fires to extend the Great Wall by 10 kilometers so it could be better seen from space. (laughs) The gala raised more than a million dollars for the Smithsonian and made the social pages of various newspapers and magazines. The following day, as Kai was introduced, he was dressed in a Western-style suit, gray overcoat and orange-red scarf. A trim, handsome man with graying hair, he looked out upon the mall and the subject of his latest piece of performance art, a four-story tall Christmas tree decorated with 2,000 explosive devices. As Kai twisted a handheld trigger, his audience watched the tree explode before their eyes, with thick black smoke emerging from the branches. Kai twisted the trigger again, and the tree exploded a second time, and then a third. The five-minute display sent pied needles across the vast lawn in all directions, and dense black smoke, symbolizing China's invention of gunpowder, billowing up the facade of the Smithsonian's red sandstone castle. It would take two months to clean up the debris and the residue (laughs) left by the explosion. Now here's Michael Pillsbury, the author, who understands what's going on, uh, explaining it. I don't know if any of the guests contemplated why they were watching a Chinese artist blow up a symbol of the Christian faith in the middle of the nation's capital less than a month before Christmas. In that moment, I'm not sure that even I appreciated the subversion of the gesture. I clapped along with the rest of the audience. Perhaps sensing the potential controversy, a museum spokesman said the work itself is not necessarily about Christmas. Indeed, the museum labeled Kai's performance simply explosive event, which, if one thinks about it, is not much more descriptive than what Kai called it on his own website, Black Christmas Tree. (laughs) Secretary Clinton's aide waved the gold medal for the press corps to see, and Kai smiled modestly. He had just been given the State Department's Medal of Arts, the first of its kind, which was presented to the artist by Clinton herself, along with $250,000, courtesy of the American taxpayer. The medal was awarded, she said, for the artist's contributions to the advancement of understanding and diplomacy. Kai seemed to agree with the sentiment, all artists are diplomats, he said. Sometimes art can do nothing that politics cannot. The point of all this is that China sent an artist over here, blew up a Christmas tree, the symbol of Christianity and everything that is American, a month before Christmas, and we all cheered it and gave him a check for a quarter million dollars and this award. That's how blind we've been to what they are doing. Such childlike, I don't know, subservience, anxiousness to please. In retrospect, it's hard to believe it even happened. Yeah. 
It, you know, it reminds me a lot of Stockholm Syndrome. Just there's a big, mean guy, and you're really praying you'll stop being big and mean. And so you'll do anything, anything to please him, to be friends. Please, can't we be friends? Meanwhile, the mean guy is utterly premeditated and merciless. So, uh, Pillsbury writing again, I wanted to investigate Kai and his works of art a little more closely after watching this. I didn't bother reading the English articles proclaiming Kai's genius, but rather what the Chinese were saying on various Mandarin language websites ah, yes. about one of their most acclaimed citizens. Kai, it turned out, had quite a large following in China. He was and remains arguably the most popular artist in the entire country. And his fans are nationalists and applauded him for blowing up Western symbols before a Western audience. Wow. He was doing that for a crowd back in China that understood exactly what he was doing. He was going right to Washington, D.C., the capital of the evil United States empire, and blowing up their Christian symbol in front of them while they applauded. Wow. Isn't that a wild? He walked into our house, took the dinner we served, smashed it in our face, and we thanked him for it and wrote him a check on the way out. And he talks about the various generals and admirals and, uh, and uh, government hardliners who praised what he did on uh, on websites. Wow. Wow. We can be such suckers. I would say. I mean, you are. It, that's embarrassing. I, you know, It's the second time I've read it on the air. It embarrasses me that we're that stupid. Hillary Clinton holding up the medal. Isn't that fantastic? He just came to Washington, D.C. and blew up a Christmas tree in our nation's capital right before Christmas. Isn't that fantastic to show yeah. that we're a decadent society that needs to be overtaken by China? Did she get that medal made at the same place she got the reset button made? Yes, yes, yes. It's you know, so Harry, crazy. How, how do you get that blinded? It'd be, it'd be like if we'd had Osama bin Laden come blow up a Christmas tree before Christmas. Right, right. Well, in spite of what some people will tell you the american people are a kind and open-hearted people generally speaking you're nice to us we want to be friends and and sometimes we're bad at it henry kissinger speaking of kissinger once said that uh, america is like a big friendly dog we want to be friends but we're so big sometimes we wag our tail and we smash stuff or or i would say that anybody who offers us a hot dog immediately becomes our best friend we're a labrador retriever in a world where we really ought to be more of a a, a sheep dog more territorial and protective we just got suckered uh he writes in the book which just came out what a year or two ago even now years later chinese bloggers are enjoying the spectacle of their hero destroying a symbol of the christian faith only a stone's throw from the us capital the joke it appeared is very much on us well, and our nation's elite thanked them for it. Yeah, and he did a little research, and uh, it turns out that we did no investigation into this guy's background and his shtick. If anybody had spent even a couple of hours probably on the Internet Googling around, they'd have figured out, oh, his thing is he goes around the world destroying symbols of capitalism and Christianity to, uh, to bolster the argument for communist China. You know, there is a little bit of truth, depending on who you're talking about, that there are some people on the right side of the aisle who can be xenophobic. Uh, It's an accusation that's thrown around way too often and way, way too casual, casually. But there's, you know, a shred of truth to it. I will tell you this. That was a, that incident you just described is a beautiful example of the left's xenophilia. 
If it is foreign, they embrace it. They love it. It's beautiful. It's important. It's vital. We must praise it. We must invite it. We must thank it. We can never ask any critical questions. It's a cult of xenophilia. Let me read a couple of more of the uh, proverbs that he mentions in this book. Um, the ancient proverb that they believe in China is cross the sea in full view. Or, in other words, hide in plain sight. It's one of the 36 stratagems, an essay from ancient Chinese folklore. All these stratagems are designed to defeat a more powerful opponent by using the opponent's own strength against him without him knowing he's even in a contest. And that's what China has been doing for decades. Wow, that's exactly what's happening. And we're just now kind of understanding that. Yeah. Well, if there's an encouraging note, it's that it seems that uh, the awareness has come to the people, the media, the government, both parties, I think. I don't think the Biden administration will do anything nearly as humiliating and pathetic and and damn near suicidal as the Obama administration did of this sort. Uh, China made some really strong statements this morning, um, which was nighttime there. Sean came up with the idea that they probably made these statements so that it would make the... Uh, the news all day long in America, we can tell you what that was about, uh, basically threatening nuclear war and calling us the source of all uh, viruses that escape in the world. Plus a riddle, not an ancient Chinese riddle, a modern American riddle. How can a company raise prices without raising prices? What? Mmm, contemplate that. The answer, next. Armstrong and Getty. So it turns out Karen is not a very popular baby name. The name Karen for girls has not been this unpopular in almost 100 years. Oh, boy. Oh, unfortunately. It is pretty hard to imagine naming your little girl Karen. Man, unless your grandma's name was Karen and you just really wanted to name your little girl after grandma or something. It's hard to imagine why you'd name your your daughter Karen. You know, I hate the whole look at this Karen thing. Number one, it's racist. Number two, it's internet meme and I don't want to be that guy and the rest of it, but every time I'm introduced to some gal named Karen, I think, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I Karen, can't help it. Karen hasn't been this unpopular in 90-some years. Almost that's, a century. That's amazing. <laughs> Did you see? Did you notice what they compared the the name drop offs to? Oh no! About Nuh-uh. three quarters of the way through the the article, there. Uh, the first one was Katrina. So uh, okay. oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. The Natural outlet, no, disaster. Katrina and ISIS also fell in popularity. <laughs> Nobody was naming their little girl ISIS in two thousand what ten twelve. So Karen. Karen is up there with a deadly natural disaster and the, the, the most horrific inhuman terrorist group in the last 50 years? <laughs> yeah, see, the, the Katrina Karen one, eh, you know, you could still, but you can't. You couldn't name your kid ISIS. No. <laughs> Not for a while. No. No. <clears throat> Not for a while. Uh, so, uh, your riddle. Sean's very good at this sort of thing. How can a company raise prices without raising prices? Sean, you want to take a shot at this? And if if you don't get it, you're not going to get it, because it's obvious once you think about it. All right. By reducing quantity. And evidently, that is ah. a big consumer trend these days. Uh, as your ice cream is now 
10% less than what it used to be, but the cost is the same. You know what somebody, exactly. You know what and somebody I, pointed out to me the other day? Toilet paper. These these cutbacks typically coincide with economic downturns. Shoppers are more mindful of costs, yet uh, costs for, in some situations, costs for manufacturers going up. So they think, hey, what do we do? What do we do? I wonder if that, I haven't measured it, but I wonder if that's why we keep running out of uh, certain cereals so fast. Like, we go through a box of uh, rice checks, like, in one morning now, and I'll, I haven't really paid any attention, but I think the box is, like, half full. Well, that absolutely could be the case, and you ought to check. You also have essentially two teenage boys, so <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> oh, um, my God, the calories they take in. Somebody told me, pointed out to me about toilet paper. There, There is a little gap now where the toilet paper is not quite clear out to the end of the cardboard tube like it wow. used to be. And they just shaved off a little bit, but over a gazillion rolls, it adds up to a ton. Yeah, and they give a bunch of a uh, bunch of examples. Uh, cat food. This uh, brand was filled with five point one ounces instead of the usual five point nine, but it was the same price. Gotcha. That's uh, what. That's what's happening with the cereal. That's why. That's why we're running out all of a sudden. Yeah, let's see. Kimberly Clark says it will raise prices on Scott toilet paper, Huggies, diapers, and everything else. Uh, then they go into a bunch of manufacturers that aren't. They're just shaving size. So. Keep an eye out, folks. You open up your potato chip bag, and there's three chips in there. That's disappointing. It's probably better for me, but uh, disappointing. You have a Black Lives Matter thing you're going to tell us about. Yeah, indeed. Their uh, popularity is declining rapidly. The reasons? Obvious. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So a Freedom of Information Act has obtained Dr. Fauci's emails. And now they've been gone through, and one in particular is getting some attention and might be a topic for the day. I'll have that for you in a minute, so stay tuned. I will uh, explain what I'm doing in a moment. There's my 21-year-old daughter. Apparently, my bad cholesterol is slightly elevated. What do I do? I reply via text, avoid foods that elevate it. She replies, but those are the good foods. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So, uh, Black Lives Matter, the organization, has had plunging approval numbers, and who the New York Times blames for it is uh, just astounding. (laughs) It's You know, there are times... I feel like in trying to communicate with the New York Times crowd, for instance, in their world, they eat ball bearings and use cookies to make wheels go round. You know, and I just I'm I'm trying to explain something to them. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, I don't even I don't even know where to begin. You know, if you were to concoct a, a phrase like kindness matters, everybody agrees that kindness matters and i have a big organization i call kindness matters and 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 everybody becomes aware of it and they do a poll uh, what do you think of kindness matters everybody's like yeah well we love it huge approval ratings right well then it comes out that not only am i bent on overthrowing the the government of the united states but i believe the way you get more kindness is to torture people in my secret prisons who are unkind 
And as that comes out, people will start to uh, not like my organization nearly as much. And obviously, Black Lives Matter is not torturing people in uh, secret prisons. But the New York Times, this is hilarious. This is actually uh, the Daily Wire had a piece about this, which I'm going to quote from a little bit. But the uh, the organization Black Lives Matter, as opposed to the idea, which enjoys universal support, except among sickos, of course, Black Lives Matter. Um, it's seeing its popularity fall a lot but it's not because of its stated Marxist agenda or its corruption or the fact that it got tens of millions of dollars and it's not at all clear what it's doing with it. No, it's because of, and I quote, increased politicization by elites in the Republican Party, according to the New York Times. An article in the New York Times, uh, a series of New York Times uh, articles, uh, on the first anniversary of George Floyd's death uh, about a week ago, complained that support among white Americans for BLM as an organization has proved both fickle and volatile, which contradicts the idea that the country underwent a racial reckoning. Can you believe anybody would write something that dumb? The decline in support for BLM, the organization, contradicts the idea that the country underwent a racial reckoning. Well, and I'm quoting from the New York Times again. While there has been a net increase in favorability toward Black Lives Matter since 2018, it peaked in the immediate aftermath of George Floyd's death and then swiftly declined, especially among Republicans and white Americans, two large and often overlapping groups. Uh, that's because only Republicans have heard that, for instance... BLM in its uh, in its who we are page. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. But they stated some things that are repugnant to most Americans. Now, the Times did later admit positive reviews of the BLM organization did not last long and swiftly declined across every racial group. Well, wait a minute. So it declined across every racial group, but it's Republican criticism that caused it. Uh, the article by Jennifer Chudy and Hakeem Jefferson continued, quote, The precipitous decline in support mirrors the increased politicization of the issue by elites. In the days and weeks following Floyd's death, Republican politicians quickly turned attention away from the actions of a murderous police officer to those individuals protesting the injustice. And then the Daily Wire points out, that BLM rioters and, and also the anarchists who joined in injured officers in almost three-quarters of the cities that held protests. Property damage up to $2 billion destroyed private churches, businesses. Worst of all, the riots left 25 people dead, including a black retired police officer. And they do not credit at all the fact that support may have plummeted as BLM's agenda came to be known in its What We Believe page, which has since been scrubbed, by the way. It claimed that BLM exists, quote, to disrupt the Western-prescribed nuclear family structure. And then you had the the leader and various leaders um, buying expensive houses with the money that came in. Yeah. That didn't help anything. Yeah, well, and they were signing all sorts of deals with Hollywood and and all sorts of crazy stuff, which is fine. I mean, that's their right. See, I'm not out to disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure nor the uh, the market economy. So if these people can can cash in and become the world's richest Marxists, you know, I I congratulate them, I guess. I think they're suckering people. Uh, 
But uh, New York Times article closed by urging leaders to see to it that support for Black Lives Matter ultimately translates into policy at the national level rather than changing the hearts and minds of American voters. Because, you, boy, is that, that's reminiscent of Marx who said, uh, and Lenin, who said, the worker, the proletariat is too stupid to enact, to enact Marxism on their own. We've got to impose it on them. So the New York Times is saying, give up on changing people's hearts and minds. Just enact policy and then put them in jail if they, uh, if they violate it. How do you even communicate with people from the New York Times world who thinks the organization's popularity declined because of Republican elites? Right. Yeah, that's amazing. They raked in $90 million last summer. While local affiliates and, and, and the families of folks who have been killed unjustifiably are saying, we haven't seen any money. We, nobody even calls us. God, what a scam. This is one of the greatest scams I've ever witnessed. Never let a crisis go to waste. Right? So, Dr. Fauci's emails are out. Really? Yeah. WikiLeaks. Um, no, for just the Freedom of Information Act. Oh, yes, yeah, he's a government employee. Um, so, this is just in, I'm reading from Disclose.tv, and they're quoting Zero Hedge, the website. Uh, researcher with extensive ties to the Wuhan lab who is on record admitting that he was involved with manipulating coronaviruses thanked Dr. Fauci for dismissing the lab leak theory. Yeah, I saw that. I'll read from the actual email. So this guy is involved in the uh, in the lab, and he said in an email to Dr. Fauci, I just wanted to say a personal thank you on behalf of staff and collaborators for publicly standing up and stating that the scientific evidence supports a natural origin of COVID from a bat-to-human spillover, not a lab release. From my perspective, your comments are brave, and coming from your trusted voice will help dispel the myths being spun around the virus's origins. Okay, Boy, the Chinese are good, man. They're good at their jobs. Obviously, that's not the way everybody is looking at it right now. Not good at their keeping the virus in the lab jobs. They're pretty bad at those. But spin and pressure and understanding how Western media and politics work, they're good at that. Yeah. Um. So he's, you know, he's going to have to answer for that, and then uh, his connection with that dude is going to have to answer for that. And- yeah. It's uh, very frustrating. Well, yeah, but getting back to the whole gulf between the New York Times world, the Washington Post world, and the world of information that we try to impart, most people, the vast majority of Americans, Jack, have no idea that the lab leak theory is now the dominant one. And they won't hear it. It's too embarrassing. Although I guess, I guess CNN, I did see a clip of CNN the other day reporting on it. So they haven't quashed it completely. Oh, speaking of not quashing things completely, we got to get this on. Hey, uh, Sean, give me, uh, what clip is this? Uh, Kamala Harris, number 33, at the Naval Academy graduation. You are electrical engineers who will soon help convert solar and wind energy into power, convert solar and wind energy into combat power. And just ask, any Marine today, would she rather carry 20 pounds of batteries or a rolled up solar panel? And I am positive she will tell you a solar panel, and so would he. 
Boy, she's hard to take. Oh, my God. What an insufferable woman. I absolutely... <laughs> I love this uh, Gerard Baker in uh, the Wall Street Journal writing about that speech and how it bombed. And, you know, she was really the only one who laughed at her own joke. But um, he says, all right, so so you notice some of the aspects of that joke. Uh, the, the Marine's a girl and it's solar panels and the rest of it. Picture the scene, a room full of the vice president's finest young staffers, all wielding their critical theory degrees from Sarah Lawrence and Amherst, brainstorming lines for an unfamiliar audience of brave young fighters. They're Marines, right? Haven't they fought a few famous battles? Hasty Googling. Okay, how about something about Montezuma or Tripoli? More Googling. Awkward silence. Seriously, wouldn't that be, like, unbelievably offensive to, like, Latinx and Africans? All right, sorry. More silence. How about a gag that combines a preference to our passionate commitment to green energy with an emphasis on full gender equality? Awesome. I'll get on it. Hence the joke. (laughs) A Marine? She would prefer a... Okay. All right. You're killing me. You're killing me with this. So heavy-handed. Oh, and just what the, I, 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 I. it's tough. It's tough in the service. Your commander in chief's your commander in chief, no matter what you think of them or their politics or their party or or anything like that. But you got to be apolitical best you can. The the next round of it, I don't want to talk presidential politics at all. But the next round is going to really be interesting if she's on the uh, if she's on the agenda somewhere because she didn't even. Make it to Iowa in her own party. No. Her own party didn't have enough interest in her to be in, like, the top ten for the first contest. And not because she was some obscure but brilliant governor with poor name-neck recognition. No. She had an enormous rollout rally. Got huge coverage. She was on everybody's lips. She got off that great line, I was that little girl. I mean, she was known far and wide. Everybody got a good long look and said, ugh, among, no. Among, <laughs> among Democrats, everybody right. is like, please. Yeah. Anybody but you. <laughs> so I just can't imagine if she's in the mix how that's going to look. Why don't I just see how I do in Iowa? No, no, probably no. <laughs> right. Um, I hate to be all China all the time, but China did say some uh, kind of interesting things uh, today that we should pass along to you, uh, including the, the way too loose talk about nuclear war with America, which uh, is a, a line you're not supposed to cross, but they did. Um, among other things on the way, uh, what was the other thing I had? It was really good. I wanted to mention. Hold on. I'm sure it was. Ladies and gentlemen, the really good thing coming up in seconds. Why the stench of dead manatees is uh, wafting across Florida. Jeez, what? Yeah. It's a what gruesome, you, that's, that's the good thing? It's a What's the bad part? thing? What do your awful stories sound like? Holy crap, I puked a little in my mouth. We got the story about the 62-foot chicken. <laughs> I suppose we should do that at some point. Now you're but. talking. <laughs> The Armstrong and Getty Show. Everyone's waiting to see it coming out of your show for a while. Keep it in Casper, Alaska. This is not a model kit that you just snap together. No one's ever built a 62-foot steel chicken before, so he's having to come here put things together, measure everything, go back to his shop in Tennessee, and, and start 
then. So it's been a work in progress, but I'm telling you, it's going to be fantastic when it's finished. This is happening in the town of Fitzgerald, Georgia. Uh, I'm guessing it's a small town. Some guy's building a 62-foot-tall chicken. It's a big chicken for a small town. That is a big chicken. With all the inherent difficulties of giant chicken building, as he made clear. As he said there, it's been a work in progress, but I'm going to tell you, this is going to be fantastic when it's finished. (laughs) No doubt. Um, The mayor said a lot of people have continued to have interest in the big chicken, which was started before the pandemic, slowed during the pandemic for obvious reasons. As so many things did, including giant chicken building. They picked back up and trying to finish the chicken. So Uh, that's like a six-story building, right? Yeah, it's huge. I'm looking at a picture. It's very, very large. Wow. Um, it continues to have a lot of interest, uh, even newlyweds wanting to stay a night inside the soon-to-be. It's a hotel chicken? I, so I guess you just, I don't know what that means. Is it like an Airbnb? Do I, how far in advance do I need to reserve this? Is it at, just so you can say I had sex with my wife and a giant chicken? All you can see is a big scaffolding, and then there's like a chicken head on top of it. But so mm. it, it's going to be a tourist attraction, I guess, or a reason to know the, the town. It's like the... World's largest ball of twine in Cocker City, Kansas. It's a similar sort of thing. Mm. Um, the money to build the chicken comes from Splost dollars. What? They could only be used for tourism projects. S-P-L-O-S-T dollars. So that sounds I'm like sure sort that's of the county program or something. Yeah. Or Georgia. You said Georgia, right? Yeah. All right. Well, maybe it'll get more attention for your town. And I'd stand for a picture in front of a 62-foot-tall sure. chicken. Why not? People and probably are... as long as I've stopped, I'm going to have a, 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 an ice cream cone it, or something. If I'm within right. 30 miles on a road trip and one of my buddies sure. in the car says, hey, you know what's 30 miles away? A 60-foot-tall chicken. We're there. Yeah, I'm We're okay. There. It's a hard left. Yeah, exactly. You know what? It's the 21st century. Amuse me. You got a 60-foot chicken? I'm amused. Budweiser is going to give everybody a drink if we reach 70% vaccination. So get vaccinated, people! Come on, everybody! The beer giant pledges to give away free beer to every vaccinated American if we can get to 70% by the 4th of July. 70? What are we at now? I don't know. If is, it, is it both shots, or, or is it one enough? I don't know any of these things. If a bucket and change <laughs> worth of beer isn't going to get you motivated, then I don't know what will. <laughs> Right, right. If 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 dying of the pandemic or being able to work or not have to wear a mask is motivation enough, surely one beer, a dollar seventeen worth of Budweiser, <laughs> will be the, the we'll magnet required. Of course, and make the, it make it the good stuff. Make it Bud heavy. Please. Of course, of course, the the fine print says uh, one round of beer, seltzer, or non-alcoholic beverage. <laughs> All right, inclusive whatever. over one hundred brands. Whatever. Oh, my friend Dave has alerted me that North Dakota has a giant metal foul as well. <laughs> I hope uh, they can maintain peaceful relations with Georgia in spite ha- of this. There's a giant prairie dog in Oakley, Kansas also. I mean, road attractions uh, in, in small places that don't have other reasons for you to stop have been popular since the car was invented. Um, and this just seems like, you know, kind of a throwback that somebody's doing it in the year, in the year 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He he sent along pictures. We'll post these at armstrongandgetty.com. Enormous pheasants in <laughs> I know Sean, I know. In North Dakota. And they're 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 unbelievably large. I know mostly from my home state, but the world's largest freestanding house of sod is near Colby, Kansas. <laughs> what? The world's the, the deepest hand-dug well is also in that area. 
These are all things you can just stop and see. And so they're trying to come up with a chicken there in Georgia. The The well, do they lower you down the well, or are you just supposed to take their word for it? You shine a light down there? How do you know? The Corn Palace in Mitchell, South Dakota, in which they make very, very cool pictures. Is that next door to the Sod House? (laughs) These are are several states away. A Sod House? Who cares? Or is it more interesting than it sounds? Slightly. (laughs) (laughs) It depends on how long you've been driving. If you've been driving for a long time... Beautiful. With nothing to do. Uh, did we leave time for rotten manatees or no? no I, do they I, have a giant uh, metal manatee in I, any state I, of the union? I, I want to mention this. I was looking up at Great uh, Good Morning America, and they're featuring the great state of California today as they're doing like tourism stuff. From the Santa Monica Pier to the world-famous wineries. And they've got all these great images of California. And as a guy who just drove through a lot of California on a road trip, you can, of course, of course, come in with a tight shot on some really amazing things in California. But the majority of California, if you drive around, is full of towns run over by bums, traffic, and garbage. I live in the state. I've lived in this state longer than any place I've ever lived in my entire life. I'm not happy that it's like this, but there's a lot of garbage and bums and drug addicts. Yeah. Pan out down there in Santa Monica. Hey there, good morning, America. Pan out just a little bit. I'll bet you wouldn't have to pull the camera back very far to find an entire tent city of dangerous drug addicts who are sleeping on the streets. And they're in places and in towns they've never been before. And what's the advantage of pretending that that's not happening? For Good Morning America. Why would you pretend that's a... Isn't it a more interesting news story to say the great state of California used to look like this, now it looks like this? Yeah, hey, you're in Santa Monica. Check out Venice and how lovely that is these days. Armstrong and Getty.